Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. They both went crazy after the Canadians skated, like they won, they won, and then they didn't. Mesdames et Messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympics fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? I am doing okay. How are you doing? I am doing well. I got a bookshelf to unpack all of my Olympic collection and it's smiling at me. So it's nice to sit at my desk, look over, see a lot of books, a lot of records, a lot of history. Makes and one book, in, one book in particular? That would be The Second Mark. Courage, Corruption, and the Battle for Olympic Gold by Joy Goodwin, which happens to be our book club selection this week. I gotta tell you, book club is kind of becoming my favorite really? episodes that we do. <laughs> like sort of well, a because we get to chat with book club Claire, and that yes. is so much fun. So, But I do love love picking out some Olympic stories and being able to read them with, with people. That's, that's the fun part of book club. Yes. So. Well, let's get into our discussion of this book, which looks at the 2002 scoring scandal in uh, figure skating for the Pairs event, and Book Club Claire is leading us in, in a discussion of that book. Take a listen. Claire, welcome back. We are so excited to have another book club meeting with Book Club Claire, and for our book selection this time, we chose to read The Second Mark. Courage, Corruption, and the Battle for Olympic Gold by Joy Goodwin. And it's all about the figure skating judging scandal at the 2002 Olympics in the Paris competition. I really enjoyed this book. I know that you guys did as well from what we've been talking about. And the first question I want to ask actually isn't related to the book at all. But it's one of those questions that you hear when something big happens. Where were you or what were you doing? Do you remember when this happened? Yes. Were you watching? And how did yes. you respond? Yes, I do remember when so. it happened. I remember this Olympics very, very well, because I had just found out I was pregnant. So I was very sick watching all of it. But I loved Sally and Peltier. So I was so excited to watch the pairs. So I very, very vividly remember watching it and watching Scott Hamilton announce it. And he with that voice with that mm -hmm. voice. And he and Sandra Bezik was then his co-host. And they both went crazy after the Canadians skated like they won, they won. And then they didn't. Mm -hmm. And they were horrified, as was I watching it, saying, what just happened? I, did I just imagine that? Did I not? see something else because the Russians had sort of a shaky program. Mm -hmm. And even though it was technically more difficult, it didn't look that much more difficult. No. And their artistry just wasn't there. It just wasn't as captivating as uh, Salah and Peltier. It didn't, it wasn't a gold medal skate mm -mm. in no, the same agreed. way. It didn't have that moment that you cannot explain 
at the time. And then over the coming days, everything starts unraveling. And it was like a mob movie at the Olympics. Yes. And any skating fan knew there had been fixes in. We all knew it. And that was one thing I think the book did a great job talking about. Everybody involved in skating knew the fix was in. And yet, because these fixes or these judging uh, arrangements had never reached the gold medal level in such an obvious way, it just was allowed to continue. Right. You had had just decades of, oh, well, these judges are going to vote for these teams and these judges are going to vote for these teams. So to have that kind of obvious collusion going on was, it was shocking, although not shocking, but just like, it, it was so, dis- it's so disappointing. I was going to say, well, where were you, Claire? I was in high school. So when you're talking about being pregnant and being at work, I'm like, oh man, I was a junior in high school at that moment. I remember that very vividly because my roommate, I I, uh, boarded at our school, Michigan Lutheran Seminary up in Michigan, and my roommate and I loved the Olympics. We had, or she had, the biggest crush on Alexei Yagudin. So we had a TV in the room and we weren't supposed to have VCRs. You weren't supposed to, but we had one and we smuggled it in and we covered it with towels and stuff so that the, the dorm staff would never know that we had one. I think it's, it's okay that I, I say this now. I, I think I can't get in trouble, but when we would go to bed at night or we have something going on, we'd make sure to record it and then we'd both watch it together. And, uh, I have to say, I do remember watching this and I do remember going, I think that the Canadians were better. I wasn't as shocked about it because I wasn't really into Paris figure skating or figure skating in general. This was basically the first Olympics where I was like really into it um, for the sport and not just the Tanya Hardy, Nancy Kerrigan stuff or the Michelle Kwan stuff. This was basically the first time I'm like, oh, technically I think they did better. But then everything came out afterwards and went, ooh, this is serious. And reading about it, making me remember where I had been and how I was thinking of it, and then seeing how everybody else in the world reacted to it, that's just it's just the coolest thing to, to see something that I experienced in such a small way to see the worldview of it. And yeah, it was worldview. It makes me wonder, when you read the book, was there anything that you didn't know about that event, not necessarily about the the lives of all of the people, anything about that event you were not aware of. I completely forgot about the collision during the warmups. And yet that was so central in in many ways to what was happening that evening. And that's the prologue of the book. That's how the book starts. That was a great way to start it. So I I kind of felt that too. Was there anything, Jill, that you, you thought that you didn't realize you know, I would say at that time, I would not have been into pair skating as much. Mm-hmm. So I do remember the scandal, but I, I don't remember the Chinese pair, Shen and Zhao, at all. So that whole aspect of it, because it really was first and second, first and second, and the French judge. And I also didn't know the whole element with the volunteer who drove the the judges around and with that collusion in there that was really interesting to me can you imagine being a volunteer and you're you're a college kid and all of a sudden you're in the middle of this international judging scandal with you know mobsters and the french judge and every news outlet trying to get a piece of you, how terrifying that must have been mm-hmm. for right. this and, kid. And and also trying to figure out, like, what did I just hear? Did I hear what I think? You know, as you see the events play out, you're like, oh, wait, I know something. Do I come forward? Don't I come forward? What do I do with that? And that was it's pretty brave to say, hey, I, this is what I heard and it's wrong. 
Yes. For you to do this. So uh, I'm going to turn you in, basically. And he got, he flew out to, didn't he fly out to Switzerland for the, or yeah, he had for, to go for the tribunal and all that. Yeah. That is crazy. You know, you're just trying to be involved in something cool. And all of a sudden you're, you're going and being a witness at a trial. <laughs> That's gotta be nuts. I think the thing that I didn't understand or I didn't remember from this was the fact that the Chinese pair, Shen and Zhao had to go last. I didn't realize that the uh, Russians went first, the Canadians went second, and then all of that went down. And the and Shen and Zhao had to go out and skate their program with that planned quad that they wanted to do, the quad throw. Meanwhile, nobody's really paying attention to it because they are so enamored in what they just saw. So I feel bad for them, but then, you know, we know that later on in 2010, they ended up winning gold, which is not mentioned in this book because the book publishing, I believe, is 2003. So they don't mention anything about that, but it is good to remember that. Did you remember the agreement that everybody kind of knew about that if the Russian pair won the gold in pairs, then the French ice dance team would win gold. Did you remember that? Because I actually did remember that. I did remember it as well. Because Marina Cena was that French pair, the big thing that they were known for, and why I remember them so well is, they were known for two things. They were known for her red hair, because it was like this bottle red like you would not believe. And they were one of the first pairs where she lifted him. So I remember them very, very clearly. So yeah, that I, I, and she was Russian by birth, but competed, you know, like ice dancers do. There's so many twists and turns of what country. Mm -hmm. um, but Asina and Pesarov competed for France. He was French. Okay. Um, so I remembered them very well. And they had this amazing um, Romeo and Juliet program, which is weird that I remember a specific program because I'm so bad at that kind of thing. But I remember them. And that it was the French dance team was trying to uh, to beat the Russians because the Russians dominated dance for so long. And, and that's something that at the time was not a high level or event, uh, ice dancing. Ice dancing was just kind of the, the wicked stepchild of the other three. But nowadays it's on par. So when you think, oh, ice dance, oh, that seems like a flimsy bit of metal. Nowadays, that would be significant. So. And in France and in Europe, oh, and it was in always, France. you know, in Europe, it was always on par. Yeah. Whereas in the United States, because, you know, when we talked to Charlie White and we talked about kind of that North American revolution, which happened right after this Olympics, partially because of the changes to the judging, that's when Americans and Canadians started paying attention to ice dance. Yeah, that yeah. was the, the thing with Belvin and Augusto was mm -hmm. when they they came on the scene, they were yeah. suddenly really good. It's like, oh, ice dancing's interesting. Uh, going back to pairs, because that's what we're talking about right now. Let's talk about each pair and their early life. I think overall, I was very surprised, especially for the, the Russians and Canadians in general, not just the two men that we're talking about, how emotional they got with their partners, because they mentioned that a lot. When the woman didn't do something well, the man would freak out and like have a fit and, and stuff like that. And I know that there's emotions riding high, but I also did not like hearing about that. It did not make me feel that I should be rooting for them because they just seem so mean. I was going to say, didn't you end up hating everybody but the Chinese? Basically. <laughs> I never liked Anton Zigarlitsa at the time, he was not my favorite male skater. It just, I found him, like most people probably found him as a performer. He was arrogant. He was kind of show-offy. He wasn't my cup of tea. But when I read this, I hated everybody. I'm like, who do you think you are treating these women like that and telling them I can't eat? Yeah, it was the, you can't eat, let me throw you around, and you're going to have to endure... Fall after fall after fall, and it's your fault because you're not getting it right. Yeah. Uh, it was crazy. And even Shen, she wasn't allowed to eat. Mm -hmm. So just the abuse that these women have to take, and I would, I'm saying half because I'm sure that it still happens today. Yes. 
Absolutely. And with uh, Yelena Berznaya's first partner, Oleg Shlakov. Oh, my goodness. That was Every single worse. thing. I, I was just like, oh, what awful abuse she had to deal with. And people would just let it happen. And uh, what terror. That, that was horrible. And what was strange to me is, you know, we spoke to Megan DeHamel last year. And I remember as I was reading this going, oh, Megan wouldn't have put up with this. And <laughs> no, no. I, I I bet she had to at different points in her career. I mean, Eric would never because, you know, he's not like that. I don't even know him. And I'm like, he's not like that. But I bet there were partners and there were coaches and there were situations where even, you know, strong, accomplished, independent young women are getting stuck in that situation. Right. And especially in countries where well countries like russia where you're dealing with the former soviet system and you're plucked from your home put into the skating school and then partway through your career or training your country falls apart around you so then what are you going to do because there's no money for anything you have no other skills really because all you know is skating so what do you do? And, and your, you know, Berishnaya was in her teens. So what is she really going to do? She is definitely ripe for abuse and for being controlled. And that injury. Oh, oh. holy cow. I did not know about that. That was a shock. I'm like, wait, she got, she got a blade to the head? Is that what I read? And, and, oh, you know, your brain imagines it and you're just going, oh, no, I don't want that in my head right now. That's so awful. I remember that was one of the things that that was a Mary Carrillo story at the time. Not necessarily Mary Carrillo, but you know what I mean, yep. that they talked about the injury and how, you know, she learned to skate again with Sigurlitsa, mm -hmm. but they left out. And I don't know how much was was known. They left out the rest of the story of her relationship with that former partner. Yeah. And, Ugh. and the inability of their coach, uh, Moskvina to really do anything about it and just waiting for some kind of window of opportunity. Because, okay, because so remember when, when they were going to go, Oh, Hey, you're going to go skate in Latvia and then you're going to escape. Yep. And then she couldn't. So Tamara Moskvina for a fan of ice skating, is one of kind of the scariest figures in pair skating. She is this little, tiny, gnome-like creature who stands at the sideboards and somehow creates these pairs out of nothing. And I think they did a fantastic, Joy Goodwin did a fantastic job in the book talking about her influence on pair skating in the Soviet Union into, into the Russian Federation. And she's terrifying. I mean, she's like one of those little nuns that would have terrified you had you gone to Catholic school in the 1950s. And yet here she is completely helpless in the face of Elena's partner. She can do nothing to protect her. And that was horrifying to me that all these women could do nothing, no matter how powerful they were in the sport, in the Federation, in their country still could not protect her. And honestly, that is something that is only now starting to change, where women have an outlet. They, they Maybe Safe Sport has is covering stuff like this, where when it comes to pair stuff, we don't necessarily hear about that, but it's, it's definitely a possibility that people can report this kind of stuff to Safe Sport. But even then, it's going to take a while for everybody to be comfortable doing that and to be able to speak up. And right. that is, that's a bold move. We talk a lot about, you know, we talked obviously a, a great deal about Larry Nasser and gymnastics and coaches or authority figures being abusive toward their charges. But this was her partner. And what a unique dynamic pair skating has because you have these two athletes equally important to the score, to how you do, mm -hmm. 
and yet one can have so much power over the other. And, and that might just be because of um, stature, you know? One of them has to be very tall and muscular, and the other one needs to be small so that they can be thrown around. And so they automatically assume the position where, you know, I'm towering over you, I have the power. And it's something that kind of just leans into it, unfortunately. But once you regain the balance, then you can make beautiful, you know, Paris figure skating skates. I think if you have that power dynamic, it does not result in, in good skating. I agree. So um, moving to the Canadians, I did not know that Peltier was from Quebec and had a predominantly, you know, French speaking background. And Jamie Soleil was from uh, the Western side of Canada, but the way that their, their pads crossed a couple of times, I didn't know Soleil was in the Olympics earlier. All of that was surprising. And, and I liked watching their story as it went along because it wasn't, just a climb up it it had its ups and downs this is one thing that i wished joy goodwin had done i wonder if she thought about how long her book would be read because we're reading this we're reading this 17 years later and you have a whole generation that doesn't know this 6.0 scale and it's not explained at all especially when they talk about the second mark well, the second, to me, in my brain, always goes, well, the second mark is the artistic mark. But the mm -hmm. second mark they're really talking about is this ordinals thing that was always very confusing. And I think for me, it was always frustrating because you'd get, like, a Berishnaya and um, Sikar Litsa, they skated third to last, and they'd get first. Well, you know, are you saving your ordinal for your next pair? Or what about Shen and Zhao? Yes. They end up like, if all that hinges, if everything kind of hinges on that ordinal, what's the point? Mm -hmm. It's so funny you say that because that's so ingrained in my figure mm -hmm. skating fan mind, ordinals and artistic marks, that it didn't even cross my mind that people wouldn't, that there's a whole generation of fans that have never seen that. Yeah, and to me, it's amazing. And you think, well, then this book really dates itself quickly because you're missing this educational aspect. In the reverse, I think it's kind of funny for me because I'm still not struggling, but I'm still trying to understand the quote unquote new scoring system, which isn't that new anymore. And it, I thought about it during Pyeongchang. And it really kind of bothered me that all of the announcers keep going, well, under the new system, under the new system. And you're like, the new system ain't that new anymore. Let's stop talking about it. it. It's just that you all competed under the old system. Right. And how, you know, one of the things that she talks about a little bit was something that we, again, that we talked about with Charlie White. We were talking about it in Ice Dance for this North American revolution where what the judges were looking for significantly changed. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, I, and that really is true here. So what the judges were looking for in 2002, very different from what the judges will be looking for in 2022, in a way that you could have watched skating in 1952 and understood 2002 better mm -hmm. than watching skating in 2006 and 2002 because of that change in the judging and the judge is looking for such significantly different things. Now, of course, they're still looking for clean jumps and they're still looking for beautiful edges. But what constitutes a winning program became very, very different. And back in 2002, there was a bigger sense of a shift between the European judges and the North American judges, where the European judges would be looking for a specific style that has worked for their area for many years, a uh, very classic style, while the North American judges were looking for maybe something more revolutionary, off-the-cuff kind of things. And then they, had, they did reveal the judges' scores by the country flags. But after this, this is the time when Ottavio Cincanta eliminated that so now the scores were all blind nobody knew who which score was given by what judge 
So that all came from this controversy. What I also had forgotten about that they talk a lot about in the book was kind of test running programs with the judges, what the judges' impressions were. Like they talk about the chaplain program with Zigarilitsa, uh, with Beresnaya and Zigarilitsa, that they adored that program, that it was so special. I don't remember it at all, which kind of upsets me. So I had to go back and watch it again. And the judges just didn't respond to it, Mm -hmm. didn't give them the artistic marks. And the reason that the Canadians went back to the Love Story program was because their original Olympic program that they had planned for that season, again, wasn't getting the same response. Mm -hmm. Whereas now... You don't hear about that as much. And you used to hear about that all the time because it's just adding up numbers. How many times do you spin? How many times, you know, how long is your footwork sequence? You get this many points, this many points. That pure artistic impression is gone in in a way. Yes, and judges will like certain styles, but that test running of what judges think of programs seems to have gone away a little bit, which is not a bad thing. Well, they mentioned with the Chinese pair how they had a very Eastern style of, of figure skating, which the judges did not like. They wanted only Chinese artists, only Chinese choreographers. And then their coach, Yao Bin, realized they're not getting anywhere with that. They're going to have to adjust. And then they got their thousands of dollars worth of, of costumes to wear, uh, which would make your your seamstress very happy, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Pat, Pat Pearsall, they had some good <laughs> flesh mesh, so we were okay. <laughs> so, you know, those kinds of things, they had to make sure they adjusted with what the judges wanted. So I can see that coming in with the Chinese pair as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember that being the conversation at the time with the Chinese, that they had to evolve in a way. That's how it was always described. They need to develop their artistry. No, their artistry is their artistry. They don't Mm -hmm. need to develop and evolve. (laughs) You want them to change to be more European. Or more North American. I mean, they picked, in order to segue themselves into the correct style, they used the soundtrack from Mulan. Can you imagine if they were doing that nowadays? That that would be frowned upon. And he's like, oh, that's so, you know, that's not a correct representation of it, of what the Chinese believe and how dare they do that. But back then, that was how they were able to ease their way into it with the judges. And say, hey, you're familiar with this piece. Let's use this to help help us out. Um, China has become such a powerhouse in the metal count. Yes. That I think we forget how in 2002, they were not considered a threat, even in the Summer Olympics. I mean, yes, you had some Chinese gymnasts. Yes, you had a few, but they were not on the leaderboard of countries with the most medals by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, that changed in 2008 for sure. Yeah. yeah, when they won that bid then uh, to host 2008, that's when they really put the money in because they needed to save face and, and show how powerful they were. But that is, it, it made it so interesting to read about how the the Chinese athletic system was and how they had very little resources. And the the Cultural Revolution is a very blank spot in my knowledge of of recent history but just hearing how that affected sport in china in general and that slow transition to that dormitory system that then they used you know similar to the soviet system for developing their athletes and now i i didn't get a chance to go back but i do want to go back to one of their early programs uh shen and zhao to the one with the polka dot dress i really wanted to see that one and see just what they did. But it was because uh, Yao Bin pioneered stuff and because they pioneered things. That's why part of the reason why China is the powerhouse that they've become. You know, you forget that there was no internet. There was no instant communication, you know, and even still in China, there are huge swaths of the country 
that have never had any communication with anybody outside of China. And you go back to this era, and, and certainly when Yao Bin, that they were seeing pair skating for the first time. They couldn't even get videotapes of it. What was it, the, the, Czechor, the Czechoslovakian uh, figure skating? Was that, was that yeah, when figure? they went to Czechoslovakia and they were seeing things for the first yes. time, the Czechs came in, and I'm like, oh my God, Czechoslovakia. I haven't heard that name in you know, 30 years. And But yeah, it's really... 30 years, you're right. I know, it really, when they were talking mostly about China, it really brought me back to a very different time in history, which is in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I mean, I'm old, but I'm not that old. And how different China, Eastern Europe, Russia, and not just their sporting system, but their whole society has evolved over the past 40 years. This book reminded me of all of that. When we talked to Jackie Wong from Rocker Skating right before Pyeongchang, we talked about the Chinese pair skating. And he's of a similar age as Jill and I are. So we sort of watched the development of the Chinese figure skating. And it's been fun to watch this whole emerging program, this whole emerging style of pair Mm -hmm. skating. They don't skate like the Russians. They don't skate like the North Americans. Chinese pair skating is different. Mm -hmm. And he talked about watching the North Korean skaters and the North Korean skaters, because they've trained with the Chinese skate like the Chinese. So now other countries are emulating their program the way when I was growing up, everybody wanted to emulate the Soviets. Yeah. You know, or then, you know, later on it became you want to skate like the Canadians. And now there are countries emulating them because of of Shen and Zhao and what they accomplished and how long their career went on. You know, they continued they skated in two more Olympics. Yeah. Um, and just, and had many teams come after them. With Shen and Zhao, they got married. Yes. With Peltier and Soleil, they got married for five years and then they got divorced. And they divorced. Yeah, they divorced? Yeah. Oh. With, yeah, they divorced that. And yeah, it I seemed like it was, yeah. Uh, With Sikrulitsa and Berzhnaya, they also had a romantic relationship at some point. It, you know, that it's kind of, I, I guess it shouldn't be too surprising to, to see that and to see, you know, that that emotional connection might turn into something else off the ice. Did the you, long you... history of Russian pairs marrying. Yeah. Most of the top Russian pairs married. Um, you know, we joke about my Sergei, Gordieva and Grinkoff were in that category. Arena Radnina. Uh, with her second partner, Alexander Zaitsev. She was the champion in the 70s. They married. It was a long history of Soviet pairs and now Russian pairs being involved romantically. And that actually set them apart because most of the North American pairs were not involved. Mm -hmm. That was sort of a thing that happened. And ice dancers too, same thing. Well, that's that's why I kind of got surprised. I'm like... Charlie White married Tanith Belbin. They're in completely different pairs. How dare they? You know, I know. I, I'm like poor Ben. Oh, poor Meryl. But it's like, no, it doesn't matter. They're just, you know, they're they're business partners when it comes to North America. You know? Yes, it's very different in the way that Charlie and Meryl, or even Tanith and Ben, skated together, was a very. I mean, we're talking about ice dancing, but a very different style to what the Russians. Skated, and it's true in Paris too, because with Berezhnaya and Zigorlitsa, it was this very dramatic, mm-hmm. ballet-driven style, and you still don't see that same style from the North Americans. Is there anything else you wanted to cover about anything? I will say what what I wanted more information about the judging. That's the one yes. thing. That, that's okay. the one thing. I yes, mean, I, the, the book. It. The book captivated me. Like, it drew me in from page one. I'm so involved in all of these pairs' stories and just enthralled. And you don't get to anything about any kind of judging until, like, page 189. And for, like, three pages, the writing kind of falls apart a little bit. At least to me, it was just not as captivating. Like, oh, boy. And 
then you don't get to the actual judging scandal until like, well, Allison was like, oh, don't worry. It's only like with 50 pages to go. And, <laughs> That's true. It's true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. With 50 pages to go, then you get to what the book is about. And the second that, mark. Yes. That <laughs> bothered me. And then you still don't know so much about judging. Like there's a bit about the Canadian judge, like watching the pairs, just not just in like random situations going to watch practices or something or being chummy with the skaters and a little bit and chummy's not the right word but like friendly or they they have some kind of relationship with the skaters from their countries or they you know they know the skaters and there's just not enough about like how judging worked and again that's i think the the lack of realizing that this point system is going away because it was announced pretty quickly that that the point system was going away and it was going to change. But it just seemed to me like the heart of the story is just about these pairs and their story. And, oh, they just happen to be an also turning point in athletic history. And that turning point wasn't really the focus of the book. And yeah, I think the that judging scandal me. is like the least interesting part of the book. Right. Yeah, and so and too. it just could have been so much more. And maybe she was up on deadline and had to get the book finished and the, the story hadn't played out enough. But I just think when I read all the notes and people she talked to, and it's just like there was so much work involved in getting this pair's stories that it also seemed like she did the groundwork for the judging, but maybe she wasn't as enthralled about writing about that aspect. I also got the impression that it didn't play out the way that Goodwin thought it was going to. Because remember, they had the tribunal and then the investigation was basically shut down. So it could have been when she started writing the book, she expected all this information to be coming out. Mm -hmm. In the, I mean, because obviously the work that she did traveling to China and Russia and took months Right. And right. I think she expected by the time she got to writing about the scandal, she would have all this information about what happened with the gangster and Marina Cena's boyfriend and this backroom deal and and nothing came out. The Federation just shut it down. And so she was kind of left with no second half to her book. Mm-hmm. You could have inserted the second mark a lot more. Like you could have talked about it as your prologue. What is the second mark? What's the history yeah. behind it? And then you could keep bringing it up as you're talking about the different skaters and how they responded to it over their time. But she didn't necessarily do that. And it's like, oh, at the end, they're just like, no, nah, let's, let's pick that as our title. I don't know. You mentioned before, is the book dated? If we wrote this book now. Oh, it would be so different. It would be so different, yeah. right? Yeah. You'd yeah. have to explain so much more and right? and set it up. I would be interested to hear from people who don't remember 2002 mm -hmm. and don't remember the old system, what they thought of the book. Were they just, I have no idea what's going on here. Yeah. And just could latch on to the personal stories because those are timeless. Mm -hmm. But the bigger issue is lost without context. Well, if you weren't accustomed to the 6.0 scoring system, we would love to hear from you. So you can email us at olimfever at gmail.com or info at olimfever.com or hit us up on Facebook, Olympic Fever Podcast. And we're also got a podcast group page on Facebook or on Twitter and Insta. We are Olimfever. We would love to hear you. Yes, I'm very curious to hear similar stories to what you guys were able to share. Where were you? What did you think of it at the time? If you're old enough, of course. It would be really cool to hear everybody's opinions on it, even okay, if you didn't so read the book. So let's talk for a minute about where everybody ended up. Yeah. Yes. So Shen and Zhao continued to compete. They came back in 2006. She had a very serious injury and ended up winning bronze again. Uh, which was a huge triumph. And then in 2010, they did win the gold with an absolute gorgeous program. So if you can find that on YouTube. Yeah, that was their Valentine's Day win. Yes, and they are married and coaching in China now, which is lovely. So Alina Berishnaya and Anton Zigorlitsa continued to 
skate together in shows and things. They both become involved with other people. But this I love. He is the godfather of her child. Mm-hmm. I know. Nice. Don't you love that? I love that. I'm like, oh, so even with all their kind of messy history, that bond that they have is still there, that you'd want that symbolism for your your child. But Peltier and Sally have the most interesting story. So go ahead, Claire, because I know you know this too. Well, they got married in 2005. Mm -hmm. Then they did this competition called Battle of the Blades in Canada, which I know nothing about, but I'm assuming it's like a figure skater and then some other skater, like maybe hockey. It's and a dancing. Have... It's dancing with the stars of figure skating. Yes. And um, Sele got paired up with this hockey player in 2009. And then she and Peltier got separated in 2009 and divorced officially in 2010. And then she went and married the guy that she was partnered with. So you got to wonder what was happening behind the scenes with all of that. But they did have a, a child together yeah. back in 2007. So that's And she now has a child with her. Yes. Her second husband as well. So their marriage did not last very, but that didn't surprise me given how volatile that relationship was. Yeah. But did that, you hear, did you hear that Peltier, he is actually working for the Edmonton Oilers as their skating yes. coach. I'm like, wow, he works in hockey now. Very interesting. <laughs> I know that Shen is actually the president of the Chinese Figure Skating Association. Oh, wow. So she got appointed to that. Zhao, I actually did see Zhao at the World Championships. I didn't see him in person. I wasn't there. But I did see him sitting in the Kiss and Cry area with his skaters. And I'm like, I think I know that guy. And then I looked at my book and was like, I do know that guy. <laughs> so they're they're both very into the world of figure skating in China, which, you know, I wonder in Beijing in 2022, what are they going to be involved with in the cauldron lighting? You know, with the torch <gasps> ceremony, are they going to be? Are they going to be in the bird's nest to taking it around? Are they going to light it? You know, it's it's all these things. I would love it if they both lit it. That would that'd be the coolest thing. So oh, just like they did in Korea with the skate like right with, below uh, yeah, the Yuna cauldron yes. oh, skated that would be but then again they may not do that because korea just did it that's true oh i would love that that would yeah. make me cry last thing we didn't talk too much about marie renlagunia the french judge didn't you feel sorry for her once no. you you didn't no i did I did feel sorry for her because, you know, all this pressure, she wants to, to to get up in the world and she ends up getting entangled in this. And then she ends up, basically her life is dismantled before her eyes. Why don't you feel it? I didn't feel sorry for her because I felt like she was a wannabe and a social climber. Yeah. And this is where I would have wanted to know more about the judging because you had to really remember and, or if you don't even know anything about judging or officiating that judges have to work their way up through a system and then it's a national thing. So they get, a, a, mm -hmm. they have to earn their national credentials and then they're hopefully going to be nominated to be put on the international list. And then hopefully the international list will select them to mm -hmm. be an Olympic judge. And she already had done an Olympics and she was the person that could do any skating competition anytime, anywhere. You called her up, she would be there. And and I understand from the, if I remember right from the book, she was very young as well, comparatively, for an international figure skating judge. And she had worked her way up very quickly. Why she felt so much pressure was interesting. I mean, did France want to save face? I mean, it, If we go back to the, you vote for... The Russians will vote for the French. I could not have cared less about ice dancing back in 2002. So not really paying attention to that aspect of the skating competition and not really understanding what it meant for the French to have a medal and why this whole scandal came about. And the enormous pressures that your country would put on you for subjectively judged sport. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is very interesting, and I would have liked to have seen more about that. 
Yes, yeah, to splurge in a little more, right. not just on this scandal, right. but maybe other things. Right, like like she could not have done twenty pages on Marie Lagoon's uh, backstory and growing. I'm sure she could have found people in France to talk to. Right, kind of hot off the press from this past month, uh, from April 2019, Battle of the Blades is coming back to the CBC. <laughs> so whose marriage is this going to wreck this time around? <laughs> Whoa. You know, it's. I just thought of it. Lloyd Eisler, who appears in, in this book sort of as a, a secondary figure, his marriage got split up when he appeared in Skating with Celebrities and he ended up breaking up with his pregnant wife and going off with the the girl who was the actress in the Buffy movie, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. So Canadian figure skaters, stop going on these shows. Your marriages are doomed. <laughs> oh my goodness. Just a little piece of marital advice on that level. I don't think it's just them, but whatever. <laughs> Jill waits for me to say crap like that. I do. I do. For our next book club selection, we did have some recommendations on Facebook to do Fire on the Track, which is the story of Betty Robinson and the triumph of the early Olympic women. But we have done running before with the Lopez Lamong book. So we're going to pause that option and switch over to swimming, which we haven't done before. So what's our next book, Claire? Our next book is called Making Waves. It's by Shirley Babishoff. And if you are somebody who follows the Olympics from the 1970s, you probably are familiar with her in some way. She had to go up against many East German women who were dominating the sport of swimming at the time and uh, kind of overcome obstacles that weren't necessarily discussed at length, but eventually came out in great detail how there was a lot of doping going on in the East German system. So we're going to hear how Shirley Babishoff grew up and how she was able to overcome this obstacle uh, that she was facing. And if we talk about doping, you know I'm going to get mad. So this so could get gonna be a doubly good. Yes, this, this could get good. <laughs> and I've been dying to get into the East German doping program as well. And this is something that'll be hopefully a start or a way to get into doing some more research on that. So I'm really excited about this as well. Of course, we will have links to the book on our website. And if you buy through our website, that takes you to Amazon and we will get a little bit of a commission for your purchase, which goes a long way to helping this show get the resources it needs to keep going and uh, try to put in some more new cool features and events for you. So we thank you for your support on shopping through our website. I'm excited. So making waves, we will, when should we have our next book club meeting? I think sometime in the summer when everybody wants say, to get in the pool. Yeah, if yeah. we're swimming, we got to be summer. So this is your early summer reading. This is yeah. the first yes. section. Maybe sometime in July. We will target our next book club meeting for the episode that will air on July 11th. So I'm excited. This will be a lot of fun and a different element of history to get into. And hopefully we'll get to see something about how a couple of different systems worked olympics well, well thank, thank you, you thank you so much claire it has been fun as always and i really appreciated this book even though i wanted some more from it it was a fascinating and enthralling read so if you haven't read it we highly recommend it yes please do and i will talk to you guys in july sounds good thank you claire thank you so much claire we'll be uh reading Making Waves, My Journey to Winning Olympic Gold and Defeating the East German Doping Program by Shirley Babishoff, who was an American swimmer who competed in Munich in 1972 and Montreal in 1976. So this is exciting. It's a relatively new book. It came out in 2016, right around the Rio Games. So I am really excited to delve into swimming, especially during this period of time, because of I'm just the East German doping scandal is fascinating too and still an issue and, yes you know still they're an still issue. arguing whether all those medals should be stripped from from the east german swimmers yeah it so, comes up every time 
you know, came up in 2016. I'm sure it'll come up in 2020. You know, Mm -hmm. should we strip all those medals? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting read. So I am looking forward to it. Hope you are as well. Be sure to buy your copy of the book on Amazon through our, the link on our website. We'll have it on, uh, in the book club section of our website. If you do so, you will support the show with your purchases and we appreciate all of those little commissions. They add up and they help support the show and keep our efforts going. And You know, speaking of doping news, we've had a big announcement from the World Anti-Doping Agency uh, this week. And, you know, they've had trouble getting information out of the Russians, and they finally... Shocking. (laughs) I am shocked, I tell you. (laughs) They have finally retrieved some 2,262 samples that were held at the former Moscow laboratory, including separate A and B samples that totaled... 4,524 bottles. This has been like six months in the making to get to get some pee in a cup. Right. (laughs) When I was reading about this, when they were talking about retrieving the samples, I'm like, whose job was it to have to carry out 4,000 bottles of pee? Oh gosh, I can tell you, I'm glad that wasn't my job because it (laughs) would have been spilled. I was never good with carrying a sample around. I could get a glass jar with a lid put duct tape around it, put it in a Ziploc bag, and I would still spill that thing everywhere. Well, you know what? Then it sounds like you should work for Rusada because they weren't very good with their samples either. <laughs> sounds like you're perfect. Well, you know, I'll work on my... Oh, and I've been working on my Russian name pronunciation, so I should be good to go, right? There you go. <laughs> no, no drugs here. We, we have no drugs. We clean athletes. <laughs> work on my bad Russian accent too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I hope on the one hand, I'm glad that they are making progress with Rosada, that they've gotten the samples. And on the other hand, I'm like, Oh my God, what are we going to find out from these 4,000 samples? Yeah. That's what I'm really concerned about because what kind of Pandora's box have we opened? Yeah. And it's full of pee. Yeah. The hope is that we can get the medals awarded, you know, if, I'll say if, because it's it's hopeful, if there are more cases of doping, then things can get allocated correctly. And maybe if there is an incredible number of reallocations, maybe something will change. Let's hope. Let's be hopeful about it, that right. this is going to be a good thing. Yeah. So... Speaking of hopeful, let's move on to our Team Olympic Fever update. Tofu! You know, this made me very happy when I saw this news because I thought, oh, well, Dawn Harper Nelson just had her baby. Now what's Allison going to do? But Megan Duhamel is having a baby. That's so exciting. So she did. Speaking of peeing in a cup. (laughs) It all comes around. Yeah, Megan and her husband uh, announced that she is pregnant and she is currently skating on the Stars on Ice tour in Canada, which is pretty impressive because she's like three months long. Yeah. Yeah. So she's three months and they announced it. And Eric Radford, her partner, has been throwing her and lifting her all this time. I'm sure he knew. Mm -hmm. But Megan's husband, Bruno Marcotte, is also their coach at various points so that dynamic must be amazing it's like yes i want you to do a triple throw oh wait don't throw the baby right yeah so i'm glad she's feeling well enough to skate and i'm so excited for them and yay more babies on team olympic fever i know that's so exciting and even more exciting is that megan and and bruno will be moving to ontario from there they're currently in montreal but they're going to move to ontario to create a new pairs training program at skate oakville which is just outside of toronto and we were talking about the lack of pairs coaching when we were talking about the book and just the fact that there weren't programs in in various places so it's really exciting to see the discipline grow yes and Canadians are so good at pair skating. So that'll be exciting. Can't wait to see the teams that they produce. On the other side of the world, Canada's artistic swimming team competed at the FINA World Artistic Swimming Series in Tokyo, Japan. And the team claimed the silver in the free program. And then they won the bronze in the technical event. And our Team Olympic Fever 
uh, artistic swimmer Jacqueline Simoneau won an individual medal, which was a bronze in the solo free. And then she competed with Claudia Holtzner to finish in the top 10 in both the technical and free duet events. So she's having a nice little season. She there. is having a good season. It's not stopping because she's going on to China to compete this weekend. So we'll have links to that on our uh, show pages and we'll post it in social too. So you can cheer her on. Very exciting. One of our Team Olympic Fever bobsledders, Nick Cunningham, was named April's Alum of the Month from Ohio University. This is from his uh, master's program. He did a Master of Science in Recreation and Sports Sciences with a concentration in coaching education. So and he's the track coach out in California yes, and uh, having a grand yeah. time. Yes, it's so exciting to see him. So very good. Congratulations for you. And we've got some other Olympic news. USA Luge is taking their White Castle slider search on the road. And in May and June, they'll be in various points throughout the U.S. looking for new athletes to join their program. The slider search is like, it's like a three-hour clinic, and it's geared towards athletes ages 9 through 13 to get them uh, to try to identify new talent and get that in the pipeline. Olympic medalist Aaron Hamland, who is a client of our Team Olympic Fever agent, Jesse Lichtenberg, went through this program. Huh. Yeah. So it's very cool. So the question is, how do kids get into luge? This is how. Right, exactly. And you know what I was thinking as we do this? I know we're very USA-centric and we keep trying to figure out other countries. If your country does one of these athlete search programs to try to identify talent, or if you know how talent is identified, if you don't do it through a club sport or through school, let us know. Hit us up on uh, at infoolimfever.com because we'd really love to hear how people get involved in sports and especially some of these smaller sports, how they get into the competitive edge for that, that something that you don't necessarily go to on the weekend. We learned a lot about the pair skating system in China and the former Soviet Union, mm -hmm. which was not always the best way. <laughs> no, no. But treat be... your children. Oh, so. boy. Uh, yeah, it'd be really interesting to hear how people do it in different countries, how this works. So let us know. We are at info at olimfever.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter and Insta at olimfever. And we are Olympic Fever Podcast on Facebook. We have both the page and a group. So join us there and get in on the conversation. Before we leave, we want to say thank you to all of our patrons on Patreon. Your patronage helps keep the show going. So if you are at the $5 or higher level, you're going to get some bonus audio for May coming out this week, including a segment with Book Club Claire, which was a lot of fun to talk about. We can't get enough of Book no. Club Claire. <laughs> She's awesome. Book Club Claire. She clean. She clean, <laughs> podcaster. We, we have our own team, our own Olympic fever sampling studio or something. Sell Olympic fever vodka. <laughs> Take shot whenever Allison complains about something. Oh man, on that note, I think we'll wrap it up for this week. We'll catch you back here next week for more Olympic stories. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O L Y M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Olympfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. What just happened?